If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 13. Today's message is entitled, Like Father, Like Sons, plural. And we're going to look at uh, Amnon and Absalom's stories and some of their destructive behavior. And to recap last week's message entitled Grace, we looked at David at one of the lowest points of his life, where David rapes Bathsheba, and then he has Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed, and then he takes Bathsheba to be his wife, and then David is confronted by Nathan, which leads to David being broken and asking God for forgiveness and him repenting. But even in the midst of all of that, there's collateral damage. And even though God gives us forgiveness and grace and restoration, there are still consequences for our behavior. And one of the things that took place is I think he had some sons that probably watched dad take things for himself, and they think, if dad can do that, then I should be able to do that too. And we'll watch this unfold. Before we get into the scriptures today, let's pray, asking God to settle our hearts to receive. Would you pray with me now? Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We ask for a blessing upon it. Speak into our hearts. Be with the children's ministry. Bless their time as well. We lift this to you. Draw us closer to you. And by your Spirit, show us how we should respond to the Word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. 2 Samuel 13. Just be aware of what we're entering into here. Amnon is about to rape his sister, Tamar. Very twisted. I'll just give you a little forewarning on that. As you see, Amnon taking things for himself. Verse 1, it says, David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar, and Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Now, Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. And she was a virgin, and Amnon thought that he could never have her. But Amnon had a very crafty friend, his cousin Jonadab. And he was the son of David's brother, Shemiah. And one day, Jonadab said to Amnon, What's the trouble? Why should the son of a king look so dejected morning after morning? So Amnon told him, I am in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Well, Jonadab said, I'll tell you what to do. Go back to bed and pretend that you are ill. And when your father comes to see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him you'll feel better if she prepares it as you watch and feeds you with her own hands. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick. And when the king came to see him, Amnon asked him, Please let my sister Tamar come and cook my favorite dish as I watch. Then I can eat it from her own hands." So David agreed and sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. Now when Tamar arrived at Amnon's house, she went to the place where he was lying down so he could watch her mix some dough. 
Then she baked his favorite dish for him. But when she was setting the serving tray before him, he refused to eat it. Everyone get out of here, Amnon told his servants. So they all left. Then he told Tamar, now bring the food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took his favorite dish to him. But as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, Come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother, she cried, don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things are not done in Israel. Where could I go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Please, just speak to the king about it, and he will let you marry me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her, and since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate, and he hated her even more than he had loved her. Get out of here, he snarled. That is loaded. Twisted. We talked about that last week. And you just see the, the depravity of man and the fallen nature of the human heart. And after this situation takes place, tensions begin to build within the family. David is angry at his son Amnon, and Absalom is furious, and he's hating Amnon. And Absalom prepares a feast for his brothers and has a plan, I'm going to get rid of Amnon. So he gets Amnon drunk, and at his signal, Absalom has his men kill Amnon. And just like that, David's son's life is over. And even though David was angry with Amnon, he's devastated at the loss of his son. It breaks this father's heart. And tensions between Absalom and David begin to build, and Absalom decides he's going to flee, and the Bible says that he's gone for three years. Gets out of town. But David and his fatherly heart, even though this situation happened between Amnon and Absalom, David has a heart for Absalom. And David longs for Absalom to return. And David's commander, Joab, seeing this longing and knowing David's heart for his son, Joab gets involved with a desire to bring Absalom back to the city. And so Joab intercedes to reunite Absalom with his father. He brings him back to Jerusalem. But for two years, two years... While Absalom is back, he did not get to go see David. That seems a little bit awkward. And you think David's heart was for Absalom to be back, but once he was back, there really wasn't a connection. They might have been in the same place, but their hearts were not in the same place. In 2 Samuel 14, verse 33 the Bible says that at last David summons Absalom, brings him into his presence. 
And Absalom came and bowed low before David, and he kissed David. And that might be something we see and we think, oh, that's a neat moment. But I feel like this was one of respect and honor, but I don't really know if Absalom's heart was in it. I don't think this was genuine. I think there was a hardness that was in Absalom's heart, and you see that as we enter into chapter 15, after the greeting with his dad, he's going to start rebelling. And let's read together here in 2 Samuel 15, starting in verse 1. It says, After this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. And he got up early every morning and went out to the gate of the city. And when people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, You've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. And when people tried to bow before Absalom, he wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and he kissed them. And Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. And after four years, Absalom said to the king, Let me go to Hebron to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill a vow I made to him. For while your servant was at Geshur in Aram, I promised a sacrifice to the Lord in Hebron if he would bring me back to Jerusalem. All right, the king told him, go and fulfill your vow. So Absalom went to Hebron, but while he was there, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against King David. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, his message read, you are to say, Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. And he took 200 men from Jerusalem with him as guests, but they knew nothing of his intentions. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, one of David's counselors who lived in Gilo. And soon many others also joined Absalom, and the conspiracy gained momentum. Now, meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, David begins to find out about this. A messenger arrives and tells David, all of Israel has joined Absalom in this conspiracy against you. And David's response in verse 14, then we must flee at once, or it will be too late. And David urged his men, hurry, if we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. We are with you, his advisors replied. Do what you think is best. So the king and all his household set out at once, and he left no one behind except ten of his concubines to look after the palace. The king and all his people set out on foot, pausing at the last house, to let all the king's men move past to lead the way. There were 600 men from Gath who had come with David along with the king's bodyguard. Let's just stop here to address one of our first takeaways here this morning. 
one of the first issues that you see is the issue of pride. When I said, like father, like sons, what David struggled with before these things started to unravel in his life was pride. He took what he wanted. And Amnon probably saw that. Absalom probably saw that. And now they are doing the same thing. This copied behavior. When we're describing Amnon, it says that he grabs Tamar and he demands from her. And then also it says that Amnon wouldn't listen. Pride has a way of clogging the ears. And Absalom, we see this man that's praised for being handsome. There's not a more handsome man in all of Israel. And he has no physical blemish. And he's famous like me for five pounds of hair. But he makes a monument of himself. He's full of himself. And he thinks he can have whatever he wants. And he even says to the people, I wish I was judge when people were coming to him. He wants to take on the role and the authority of someone else. And then it says also in chapter 15 that he stirs up a rebellion against the king. This will not end well, Amnon. This will not end well, Absalom, because Proverbs 16, 18 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. So as David flees and takes off out of the city, there are several interactions that take place for him out on the Mount of Olives. And meanwhile... Absalom has a connection to a former counselor of David's by the name of Ahithophel. <laughs> Say that three times fast. But this guy's bugged because it's believed that his granddaughter was Bathsheba. Anybody remember that? And so he's kind of done with David, and he takes off, and he has this encounter with Absalom and sees an opportunity here to get back at David. Let's go to 2 Samuel 16. 2 Samuel 16, starting in verse 15. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the army of Israel, they arrived at Jerusalem, accompanied by Ahithophel. Now when David's friend Hushai the archite arrived, he went immediately to see Absalom. Long live the king, he exclaimed. Long live the king. Is this the way you treat your friend David, Absalom asked? Why aren't you with him? I'm here because I belong to the man who is chosen by the Lord and by all the men of Israel, Hushai replied. And anyway, why shouldn't I serve you? Just as I was your father's advisor, now I will be your advisor. And then Absalom turned to Ahithophel and asked him, What should I do next? He's receiving counsel. And Ahithophel told him, Go and sleep with your father's concubines, for he has left them here to look after the palace. Then all Israel will know that you have insulted your father beyond hope of reconciliation, and they will throw their support toward you. So they set up a tent on the palace roof where everyone could see it. 
And Absalom went in and had sex with his father's concubines. And Absalom followed Ahithophel's advice, just as David had done. For every word Ahithophel spoke seemed as wise as though it had come directly from the mouth of God. Twisted. And you see Ahithophel, this former counselor of David, wounded by the fact that he took his granddaughter and killed his grandson-in-law. And I think one thing we need to address here is you see all this turmoil going on because of family wounds. Family wounds. Absalom, upset with Amnon, has him killed. And David and Absalom having some conflict. Absalom leaves for three years, comes back, but he's got it out for his dad. So much so that we're, it's even revealed several times in these passages that we read this past week that it's clear Absalom wanted to kill David. Absalom wanted David dead. And you talk about deep family wounds. This one in particular seems to me like it was a father wound. And lives can just unravel when it comes to wounds by parents, wounds from loved ones. And Absalom should have dealt with that. But you factor in his pride with undealt with family wounds and you have bad decision after bad decision. You also see unforgiveness. Seems to be a common thing in the midst of all of this. Often there are many wounds that are delivered from family and people can go years without genuine connection or even speaking with each other because of unforgiveness. We need to deal with those things. We bring them to the Lord and ask for God's help, not kind of put our foot down and say, I'm not moving because I'm right and they're wrong. Eventually, things continue to boil up and they lead to a battle. And so, with, could you just turn to 2 Samuel 18? This is the last section we're going to read. 2 Samuel 18, 6 through 18. David's men are pursuing Absalom and Absalom's men, and David was asked to stay behind. And we see what takes place here, starting in verse 6. So the battle began in the forest of Ephraim, and the Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men. There was a great slaughter that day, and 20,000 men laid down their lives. The battle raged all across the countryside, and more men died because of the forest than were killed by the sword. And what that means is when the battle was going on in the forest, there's a lot of terrain that would make it more and more deadly if people are pursuing each other and fighting each other rather than just straight up battle out in a field or something. So more men dying in the forest because of the terrain. And during the battle, Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. 
and he tried to escape on his mule. But as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair, his amazing five-pound hair, gets him caught in a tree. And his mule kept on going. And there he is, hanging out. And one of David's men saw what had happened, and he told Joab, I saw Absalom dangling from a great tree. What? Joab demanded. You saw him there and didn't kill him? I would have rewarded you with ten pieces of silver and a hero's belt. I would not kill the king's son for even a thousand pieces of silver, the man replied to Joab. We all heard the king say to you, and Abisha, and Ithai, For my sake, please spare young Absalom. And if I had betrayed the king by killing his son, and the king would certainly find out who did it, you yourself would be the first to abandon me. Enough of this nonsense, Joab said. Then he took three daggers and plunged them into Absalom's heart as he dangled, still alive, in this great tree. Now ten of Joab's young armor-bearers then surrounded Absalom and killed him. And then Joab blew the ram's horn, and his men returned from chasing the army of Israel. And they threw Absalom's body into a deep pit in the forest and piled a great heap of stones over it. And all Israel fled to their homes. And during his lifetime, Absalom had built a monument to himself in the king's valley, for he said, I have no son to carry on my name. And he named the monument after himself, and it is known as Absalom's Monument to this day. And just like that, David's two sons have gone to the grave. I think you see a father's heart in the midst of what's going on here. When he finds out the news of Amnon, he's devastated. And when he finds out the news of Absalom, he's devastated. And so the last takeaway here is the heaviness of wayward family members. You see the sincerity of David's heart, even in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the conflict. It's like, this is probably what David's thinking about. I wish my sons could be here with me. I wish all the conflict wouldn't be present. I wish they weren't going off and making all of these destructive decisions. Wayward family members can be a heavy thing. And you see David's heart for his family. Several of these passages emphasize that, especially when he finds out that they have died. I think what that shows us is that even in the midst of family dynamics and family turmoil, there is a love that goes way deeper than all of that, that unfortunately is hindered by all of the stuff that takes place in life. The bonds go deep. There is a power in prayer. Do you pray for your family? I think this is an interesting prayer that David prayed in 2 Samuel 15, 31. He actually asked God that Ahithophel would give poor counsel to Absalom. 
And that's what Ahithophel did. He gave him very poor counsel. And we see that prayer answered. And it kind of reminds me of some prayers that I've heard some parents in this congregation tell me that they've prayed over their kids. One example is, Lord, if any of my kids are doing something wrong, make them get caught. Then we can deal with it. Not to let them continue on in rebellion. But even to face the consequences of these poor decisions. Another prayer I've heard a parent in this congregation say they prayer or say they pray is Lord if my child is making good choices then bless their socks off. But if they're making bad decisions then make them feel miserable until they change their behavior to what is right. It works. <laughs> And I believe I'm a living testimony of the power of prayer, as my mom's laughing over there. <laughs> you know, I, when I was in high school, people didn't necessarily call me Pastor Russ. <laughs> but I'm thankful for God's grace, and I'm thankful for the power of prayer. And perhaps there's family that's on your heart today. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you believe that God can transform hearts and lives? Do you believe that God can restore relationships? So asking God, what is our response to this? Again, it seems like we're in a series on pride almost. Last year, we, or last year, last week we talked about this. But again, is there any area of pride that needs to be addressed? Are there any family wounds that need to be addressed? Is there any wayward family that is on your heart? Lift these things to the Lord. Ask Him for help. And one question I want to ask us here is, what do you want to be remembered for in life? Amnon was remembered for desiring and raping his sister. A pretty dishonorable thing to be remembered for. But pride leads to destruction. Absalom was remembered for his unforgiveness and his rebellion and his public sexual sin. Ahithophel, he'll be remembered for unforgiveness and insecurity because as he started to give poor counsel, he gets pouty about it, and he goes off and commits suicide. That's how he's remembered. And then there's King David, a man with many flaws, but a man who's acknowledging his need for God's grace. How do you want to be remembered? We see David as an earthly father and his sons. These are earthly sons. Sons who are making decisions in their flesh, in their weakness. Giving in to what the enemy wanted to do. I'm so thankful that I have a heavenly father who is perfect.
And if the Heavenly Father is a part of the equation in my life, then by the Spirit of God that He gives me, I can make better decisions than what my flesh can make. The Bible speaks about that. And if you have a relationship with God, ask God for the strength to make the best decisions that He would want you to make. In order to do this, we have to humbly say, Lord, I need your help. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me as we close this message? And worship team, if you would come back to lead us. Father, I thank you for this time together. We covered a lot of ground in your word. But I believe it's important to be able to see lives that were broken. Some might think, why in the world is this messed up stuff in the Bible? And I believe the reason for that is to show us that in our own human decisions and our pride, there can be very destructive things. But Lord, we can come to you and you can bring a grace into our lives that helps us to process, helps us to heal, helps us to make good decisions. Decisions that are not based out of the past or the pain or the things that are in our life, but decisions that are based upon the fact that you've healed us. Father, it's possible there's someone listening right now that you're not a part of their life. You desire to be. You want to be their heavenly father. And you're inviting him into a relationship with you. And you made it possible through Jesus Christ. Just as the commander Joab interceded and went and brought Absalom back to his father, Jesus Christ intercedes for us and brings us to the father. He did this by paying for the penalty of sin with his own life when it was taken at the cross. But as he rose from the grave, he gives the power and the freedom over sin and gives us new life. If you've not been made right with the Father through Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to pray with me. And lean in, asking for God to come into your life. Pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I come to you asking for forgiveness. Cleanse my life. Make me new. Give me the strength to make good decisions, godly decisions. And Lord, I recognize from this day forward, I need you in my life. 
Thank you for saving me and redeeming me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.